me. I'm so excited about this topic. And um, yeah, I've never had a, a podcast about, you know, creativity and anger. So like, this is like the best. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very curious um, because I, I've, I've gone through, I think, two years of trying to understand my 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 creativity and where my creativity comes from and also we're both latin american and i feel like you might have this understanding of what it is to live with anger embedded in culture um uh -huh. so i i'm very curious about um what you've seen in your work when it comes to using anger as an energy to fuel either creative work or expression or maybe even not even to fuel it but maybe if there is an undercurrent of other emotions that force or or maybe make someone be confronted with their humanity um mm -hmm. so those are all of my curiosities, and I'm sure you have way more to say. Um, and it would be awesome to start with you introducing yourself. <laughs> Are we already recording? Yes. <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. Okay, so that was a lot, especially introducing myself. I it's it's kind of uncomfortable, but in this. In this podcast, I think that I am connecting not only with me as a counselor, um, which is what I do 24-7, and you, I specialize on anger. I'm not going to say anger management because that's something I don't like. I don't want to manage the anger. Uh, I want people that work with me are interested on healing their relationship to anger in their historical uh, trauma that includes uh, unconscious reactions to uh, on anger. So there is a lot embedded on that tiny little word. Um, and um, it, it's it's a lot. It's a lot when when we talk about anger. Uh, it can bring so many different ideas for people, so many such different experiences around anger, so much comfort or discomfort, a lot of anxiety usually. And when it comes to anger and gender, that's the other intersection that I am very comfortable with and I have been specializing on working with women's anger over the last 10 years since I moved here to Vancouver, but that does not mean that I haven't been working with other kinds of people as well. Um, I just needed to heal that part in me. And so I guide my work. Also, it's what's, what's coming to me that I need to heal. I'm also a part of something bigger. Um, so yeah, this is where I'm at right now. I, I'm living in uh, Vancouver, Canada, a beautiful city, especially in the summer. Um, but I'm Latin American. Um, I was born in Ecuador. 
And so you and I, Danny, we were neighbors. <laughs> um, and, um, and I was in Ecuador until I was 26. Then I moved to Colombia. Um, and then I went to Mexico City. Um, and I lived in Mexico City for another five years. So four years in Colombia, five years in Mexico City. And now I'm here in Vancouver for the last 10. And I think that's this is the place where I'm currently. Um, yeah, it's it's an anchor for me right now. And I got married here at 37. So uh, I've been very um, curious in my life. I have three master's degrees. Um, and the part that I want to connect on creativity has to do with um, maybe poetry and maybe my love for literature. So I am very happy that you invited me today to talk about anger and creativity because it's something that I might or might not see in my work directly with art. I have worked with a lot of artists, but I think that creativity can be a very high road to work with your anger, to heal it, to turn it into something more beautiful. Not that this doesn't have anger inside, but something more sophisticated or a roar, maybe when we need to hear, you know, society needs to be reminded of what's going on, but it's an unconscious process for many artists. Uh, you know, like you're, you're doing what you do your best and, and these things show up in your body and, and we need ways to process them. Um, and so we are including here, you know, like creative people and highly sensitive people are my clients, but my clients are also, you know, people that are successful in life and they, they're super uncomfortable with their anger, the way they're showing up. Uh, it's showing up in their life. It's kind of disruptive. Um, however, I feel like as a society right now, anger is showing up as something that is very important for us to heal. I think we can't just pretend it not to ever be there. We cannot not have conversations about it any longer. And this is the time where you and I are living and we're privileged because, you know, we can meet with a group of women in my case, where I lead the groups, where we are talking about anger and we're doing deep work around anger. It's one of the most beautiful, tender and incredible experiences, you know, in my life. And that's why I'm continuing doing this because I'm really good at moving on when something's boring, but this is definitely not boring work. <gasps> Could you, could you explain, um, maybe give like an overview of the themes that come up in your work with, with the struggle of processing anger or feeling like anger is part of the experience? Um, because I, I've, in my personal life, I had so many issues even coming to terms with the fact that i was so pissed and i was pissed constantly 
and there I, and um well i i was part of your workshop and in your workshop i learned that my baseline was actually being angry where whereas my baseline should have been a baseline not constantly activated right um so before we go into the area of creativity um it would be really great to know from your experience what are these maybe the 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 things the most common things that you encounter when it comes to people struggling with anger you know there's nothing as common right it's like every mm. people every person i see is like a different book a different story and has the different situation different context and has also different baggage you were talking at the beginning of our conversation how you know we have to talk about anger as a latin american person that that is part of our baggage and it's super important that we talk about that but people have different you know things on their luggage and so there's not such a, a, a thing as a common thread but i think that our culture has kind of put anger in this in this box so there is the the component of gender and anger which is you know women shouldn't be angry it's a bad thing um it's been suppressed but that is not either a, a rule because um it just depends on how you were raised so the context of you know we call developmental trauma when you have when you haven't had an opportunity to integrate uh anger in a healthy way so in these days here in vancouver you know like you know in a couple of weeks or so i'm going to be part of a summit where they're teaching parents how to deal with their kids emotions but we didn't have that growing up mm -hmm. most of our parents were surviving doing the best they could and that included just doing what they did with them in the best case scenario so we have a lack of understanding of what anger is, a lack of understanding of how to support others when they're experiencing that strong emotion. Um, and um, and usually that I see that in a spectrum. Let's, let's imagine a, a spectrum. And on one side, there would be people that are very, I'm going to, I'm going to say comfortable, but it's not comfortable, but that their only outlet or their easier outlet is to express anger out. Um, so, you know, like vocalizing it, being very uh, expressive with their bodies and very visible. Um, and that also has some relations with or correlations with health uh, in the long term. It can cause health issues such as, you know, uh, heart issues, blood pressure issues. Um, so that would be one side of the spectrum. And on the other side is people that can completely, they feel totally anxious about mm -hmm. anger. They're not connecting to their anger. I have a lot of women that show to my groups because they are not feeling the emotion. And so many cases, this has been a product of culture. Mm. And you know, Vancouver is a multicultural city. So I have been 
had the pleasure to see uh, there are like patterns on each culture of what's expected and what's not expected. And also like anxiety around expressing anger because we might have been traumatized by other people's anger. So there's a lot of people that are like, I never want to do that because maybe in our younger experience, they explained to us that whatever was happening, which might have included abuse and violence was anger. Mm. And that was not anger. So people have a reaction towards anger. They try to repress it as much as it can, that they can. And all of a sudden we explode or we get ill. We internalize the anger. Um, and again, there are some correlations between unexpressed anger and health um, that are also something we want to avoid. So chronic anger, expressed or unexpressed, um, is not good for our health. And so we want to be able to express it in a way that we don't feel ashamed for expressing the anger in a way that is like, oh, this feels good. And it's just, um, a release. It's just an emotion and, and then it leaves our body. And, but it's also the respect for a woman's anger, a lot of respect for our anger. We trash our anger. We, uh, treat it as it's something bad or disgusting or something that's forbidden. And it's like, no, our anger is sacred. And it's, uh, you know, Danny, we call uh, anger the guardian of our boundaries. Mm. What it would be of us if we didn't have any boundaries, there would be nothing left of us. And so this is kind of what I see uh, in very general terms in my, in my practice. Yeah. And I have to add one thing more, yes. which is the relationship between anger and trauma. That is a deeper layer. Um, you know, like most of us have experienced some degree of trauma or abuse in life. And, uh, most of us, um, are not aware of that because our culture is like, we don't talk about these things. So how are we going to be aware of this? So if you are all of a sudden your body is having an experience with, uh, you know, like your nervous system is on high alert all the time, or your nervous system is in shutdown or you're fawning, you know, all the time with mm -hmm. people around you. Uh, maybe you're not even aware of what has that to be with you and your anger, but it, there's a lot of relationship there. So there's a, a deeper healing level there related to trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, with that in mind, when you've mentioned literature and poetry in Latin America, what were you thinking of? Because there, I've started thinking of a few poets and writers, okay. and I'm thinking if a lot of their work was in fact fueled by all of the oppression they were living through. And, yeah. 
And um, I've, I guess as a, a little explanation, there's this, there's this huge tradition in Latin America of magical realism. There's always been, I guess, this comparison between the literature that came out of the US and Europe because a lot of the events that happen in Latin American literature can sometimes be viewed as out of this world or things that would never happen or exist that are maybe magical or just, you know, like you, unimaginable, basically. Um, so I, I would love to know what you think about that. So what if magic would be a way of explaining something that happened without being it so rush, so harsh? Mm. What if also how kids uh, process things when we have this big fantasy world is through, through, through imagination. So, I think also magic is a big component of Latin American identity. Like we believe in things like the mal de ojo, you know, uh, like somebody sees you, you bad or sees your little baby bad, you have to protect them from these things. And so we have these ways of seeing the world that are part of our healing or part of our sickness, right? Uh, when one of the interesting books that I read when I first came here was Latino families in therapy. And there was a big chapter there uh, talking about how there's a failure on the medical system in the US by not understanding that the beliefs of Latin American people are part of our reality. So instead of thinking of that is true, then that is not true, this is reality, this is fantasy. What if we incorporate those as metaphors of whatever is happening? So for example, when I was a little girl, I had these recurrent dreams of me saving my family from fires, from dangers. Mm. And I would be, I, I had to fly so that I could do these things. And the experience of flying was amazing. And I always loved to fly in my dreams and I felt like I had this superpower so much. I had to test it and I fell down a couple of times because I, you know, I, I really needed to test it, <laughs> but until I, 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 you know, I'm like, okay, I can't fly, but I can fly in my dreams. And that's, that is something a very beautiful, um, superpower I had. And, um, you know, if you go to my website, you're going to see a little girl with a cape. I had a cape and I just to run away, run all over. You know, I, I believed I could fly. But now that I'm, you know, 47 years old, I know that when I fly in my dreams, I don't rest. So it's like also, um, a reflection of my nervous system being in fight or flight. And so now I can make some decisions of, okay, maybe I don't need to save the world as I'm sleeping. Maybe I just need to rest and I can do some other, um, rituals in order to protect my sleep 
and to give myself what I need now. So what if that magic realism is also part of our, because it started on the 60s or 70s, right? So in Latin America, I don't think that there was a possibility for us to maybe talk about some certain things that were happening from a different language. And we have, you know, um, this, what some authors like uh, Cornejo Polar, so people that have studied synchronization, um, you know, the mixture between the indigenous cultures and the European cultures, how there's a lot of magic there. So we are that, and and I love that from us. However, I think that there is also these um, microaggressions, these um, the you know the the understanding of how we have been a part of the damaging idea of the invention of whiteness mm -hmm. that happened in the 17th century and that this idea harmed our and oppressed our identities as mixed people and we have internalized you know these values and also these strategies for for us to protect ourselves from um from harm so if it's not safe for us to show our indigenous part our indigenous uh roots mm -hmm. our indigenous uh skin then we had to um find ways to hide it and this, this shows in not only in the way we think of others, but we in the way that we think of our own bodies and in the way that we relate to others. So this racism that exists so much in our, in our countries of origin, that to me, now that I've lived in Canada and I know what people, white people are, to me it's hilarious when they think I'm white, mm -hmm. right? I, and, and I know that some of the people I know in Latin America, some of my peers would be highly uncomfortable if I tell them, no, you're not white. So uh, I think we're also going through this process of healing our self-hate and repulsion for those parts of us that came through the invention of whiteness. And um, this, this, this anger might also show up as what some uh, experts call trauma retentions. So if I feel mm. disgust from somebody else, because I don't want to be like that, that might have something more to do with me than with the other. Yeah. Yeah, so it would be like you being uncomfortable at the reflection of something that you identify in yourself, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Rather than seeing that as an asset, 
Mm. And there's a lot of research also that shows that the Latinos that live in, um, in the U.S., because this book that I read has, you know, research from the U.S., uh, the Latinos that had strong connections to their background were stronger, prouder, um, more successful in school. And I think that's changing. I think our idea of Latinos is getting clearer and clearer of how amazing we are. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting uh, to see these changes that are cultural and that they're going to affect the way that we relate to our shame and our anger. Because usually anger is also a protector of shame. So when is it shame? When is it anger? Would there be fear in there as well? Absolutely. If you're not safe, you're going to be afraid. And they say anger is one word, one letter short of danger. So, so when you're, so when you're um, moving through all of these strong emotions um how can how can looking for a creative outlet be of benefit because creativity is not just expression through the body or the voice or through creating something or breaking something apart but it can also be building something um so from your experience would that be would that be a short fuse form of creativity or is it something that can be sustained? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good question. So there is uh, anger. There needs to be anger for us to want to create things or destroy things. And so when we manifest our anger, in productive ways, it's going to be very different than, you know, there's a reason why we haven't opened, uh, anger rooms, these places where people go and destroy things like objects. Uh, we don't want to do that. I mean, we have a clinic with 10 therapists that are very experienced and none of us believe that, uh, that doing you know, those anger rooms will be healthy for our society. Like you go and you do that, but it will not alter uh, your feelings in the long term, or it will not change the conditions that generate that rage. But when you have a process, Hmm. an artistic process, um, it can be a mechanism for translating this powerful um, negative, or I don't want to say negative. I want to say uncomfortable feelings Yeah, uncomfortable. Uh, to something beautiful, something that can manifest your anger, but in a more sophisticated way. And it leads to an action. It leads to communication. Um, so you're using that art, that object, that those, those materials to create something different. And I think that I loved what you said at the beginning, because I think we need to, we can destroy things to 
build them again, right? We could, that's part of the, of the creative process. Um, but this is not like the destination is not to destroy something. Right. It's about the process. Yeah. So the downside to that, right? So we would call this sublimation in, in psychotherapy. Okay. So the sublimation, for example, of my anger is to do the work that I do. I would not have the passion that I have. I would not have started these groups 10 years ago where four women showed up at the beginning and had no success if there wasn't really something powerful and a lot of curiosity and determination for um, seeing if this was a possibility for us to even talk about anger in a safe place. Mm. But this sublimation that happens in our groups and in every person that we work with is like turning this into something that's manageable. So all of a sudden you're like, oh, now I have words to describe my relationship with anger. Oh, and and so, and it's what met, what needs have been unmet in my life that I need to push through to create to, to, to make myself happier. What have I been dishonoring in me? What are the parts of me that have been neglected by others? And so there is a beautiful transformation in that process. So could it be, could it be that the act itself of coming together in communication be it through talk therapy or in a group setting or through putting something that you've created out that creates a conversation, would that be enough in itself for you to be able to move past the initial peak of anger, you know, like when it's at the height and you can barely think or, you know, like you, I I don't know, some people, I guess, lose direction or or vision or things like that would that be enough to lower that intense outburst and allow for all of the other emotions to come out i wish i could say yes but i don't think that only language is enough okay i think that language is a very important piece in the integration but i think that the work we do with our nervous system somatic therapists are very important for the healing. And I just talk about that from my own experience and what I see with my clients. I am way more efficient now that I am incorporating uh, the work of how to work with our nervous system. Mm. Because you can, it's like, you know, I can tell myself, oh, you're not, you're, you, you can't be angry, but I'm going to, not sleeping in a we can't take our bodies down like that just through the power of thinking right i think cognitive is one part but the other part that we need to incorporate is the body and so let's talk a little bit about that danny Mm -hmm. 
for example, let's talk about, um, I mean, and, and, and also I want to say that each person is different and each person is going to find their own path. But let's talk, for example, about Gloria and Saldúa and Violeta Park. Okay. So I just recently saw, and it's free online right now, Violeta, which is uh, the movie about um, the Chilean composer and singer, uh, folklorist, visual artist, uh, Violeta Parra. And by the way, she also made, made an ethnology of, of Chilean music. So, and this was on this, on 19, on 1917, like this was in a time where these words for didn't even existed to explain what she was doing, but she went walking, uh, picking up the music that was getting lost through oral transition, uh, tra oral, oral trans transmission. Yeah, transmission. And she committed suicide at 49 years old. Mm. And when you see that movie, uh, you can see this rage that, I mean, the way that I see it, my interpretation is she had so much power. She even, she went to Europe and she, we're talking about somebody that, um, she was born in a very poor place in, in, in Chile, in the borderlands, you know, in the outside. She was not part of the elite. Uh, and this um, amazing woman um, did to do all these things because she had this, this life energy in her. Because anger is life energy. Mm. But when anger turns into rage, you know, constant raging, that's not going to be life energy anymore. That's going to diminish you. That's going to absorb you. That's going to destroy you. Yeah. And Violeta Parra, you can see her from exploding her art. Like she even went to a museum in Paris. I don't know if it was the Louvre, but she, she had her work there nice. and and when she came back to Chile, when she went back to Chile, she was, she kind of felt re-traumatized by, in, maybe she had some things that she needed to work on for sure. Her father was a raging alcoholic, mm. raging. And, uh, but she was also traumatized by the lack of um, support and inclusion from the elite people in Chile. And she felt into a very deep depression. Um, so that rage, that power turned into something that was poisonous. So here is when I am talking about the importance of also healing, doing trauma work. Hmm. Hmm. This Go ahead, Dan. Um, this reminds me of Victoria Santa Cruz, the singer and performer from Peru. 
she um she's this afro-peruvian woman and she has the most powerful performances that have appeared internationally um and she in her work you can feel her her rage towards the very racist like the the explicit upfront racism that exists still in peru but she's from the around 1920s or something like that maybe a bit later but her work was really defining because she also got to perform and she got to teach outside of peru and i can think of maybe authors like pablo neruda and he has this beautiful anthology about like poems about love but my question there is like is it actually about love or is it him you know also transmuting a form of anger or even Isabel Allende with like La Casa de los Espíritus. It's a very violent book. <laughs> and it's only digestible because of the magic realism, right? So, so that's the beautiful thing about magic and about art. Hmm. How can we see, how can we as a culture process some things that are really hard to see and to observe and to hear and to feel rather than through magic? And, you know, let's go back to the story tales. You know, they're mm. terrifying. Yes. All the children books. Yeah. And, and, but, you know, when you look at them, they're like, oh my gosh, they're teaching us everything we need to know about how to take care of ourselves through as adults. But mm. they're saying it in a way that we can process them as kids. Right. When you right. talk about this woman, I'm also thinking of, the Inuk throat singer Tanya Tagak. She's Canadian. And I heard her and I was like in tears. Wow. Uh, she is, she's incredible. And she's singing about the murder of indigenous women in Canada. Uh, but her art is more than that. And let's talk about another person that is Gloria Saldua, which because you're in you're in the US right now, are you in California? Yeah. Okay, so that book, La Frontera, changed my life, and it's a an autobiography work, and and she reflects of very very serious matters, but she had a way of express her anger in a such a dignifying way you know basically she's saying on her book many things but one of the things that struck me was like okay so these words their land that was taken over by the u.s and now they're working for taking back their land which will never be theirs again yeah again super painful but the way that she writes about her process of writing, she says, and I'm going to quote her, I put order in the world. I give it a handle so I can grasp it. I write because life does not appease my appetites and anger. Mm. Right. Amazing, right? Yeah. So and it's... So so it's basically this way of taking all of this energy, all of this emotion and transmuting it 
to something that is outside of herself and that can also reach other people and put a mark or kind of leave a little like a you know like a um like footprints behind these feelings that are often kept inside correct correct so it is a it is cathartic hmm. but it's not a short cathartics like going into an anger room and just you know or spitting into somebody's all your anger you know it's not that it's a longer process that it takes day by day to process whatever you're having inside probably having some support which i think artists are very aware now of mental health which was didn't happen not even 20 years ago you know the the singers that i grew up with um idealizing them many of them are dead because they couldn't take care of themselves yeah yeah right so i think that there is a different consciousness about how we can take care of these highly sensitive people and i'm i'm saying it in a in a good way because in latin america sensible sensitive is a good thing it's not like when I came here to Canada, Alistair, my partner, was saying to me, here when you say someone is sensitive, it's not good. I'm like, what? <laughs> but Yeah, why is that? It's, because it's true. It's true. <laughs> I think that's changing. But somebody sensitive for me when I grew up was somebody that could uh, appreciate art, that could, um, you know, have like, could read between the lines, somebody that would appreciate beauty. Yeah somebody that was highly sensitive that could see more but here's like there's that th that idea around oh that's being too vulnerable and too vulnerable it's unsafe right or it's feminine right all those things you know i think that mental health is in a really good place when we're starting to destigmatize all the things that are not good for us as a you know, as a culture anymore. Hmm. And I hope that we can get this message to Latin America because it's it's so needed. Like there's so much reasons to be angry there. We could be doing amazing art, but maybe it's too much. So we can't even go to study. Right. Yeah. How, how okay, with, with that, with the context of Latin America, and this is pulling out of my experience. Um, when I was trying to, when I was creating this photo project and trying to create work when I was in Peru, for me, all of the things that I was angry about were too overwhelming. And at some point I felt like having to address what was happening in Latin America became like a creative prison. So there, I, as, an, as a creative, I felt that there was no space for me to actually express and communicate because it all had to be addressed towards all of the things that there are to be angry about um, in a continent like that. 
And it's not that it's not because of the culture or because of the continent, but it's just things that escape your control, you know, like either because of your, um, I don't know, whatever is happening politically, which is usually the case, or <laughs> if there is um, a natural disaster and, you know, some something out of your control happens and you're highly sensitive, but then it's so overwhelming. And a lot of the spaces I encountered were we're filled with many creative people, very talented people, with people who have a lot to say. But at some point, all of this felt so constrained. It, it just felt like the space for creativity was limited to either something tragic or something political. And for me, it's really interesting to know how to how to grab that energy and turn it into something that could possibly open more more space for for life you know more space for connecting beyond this pain or beyond this feeling and i wish that the people that are going to hear this podcast could see what you're doing with your hands, <laughs> right? There's so much power. It's there's so much power. Can you explain to them what are you doing with your hands? Yeah, I'm. I'm like moving my hands around. Like there's this there's this little globe that I'm touching, and it's this energy, and it's it's um, over my chest right so it's I guess it's my creative force or my feelings coming out yeah and what's happening to your face as you talk about that well right now I'm smiling (laughs) (laughs) but I'm smiling because I'm being very honest um yeah yeah. and And when you were thinking of that oppressive situation in Peru what happens to your body what gesture would you do with your hands? Oh, my chest, my chest feels tight. Like I feel like I cannot breathe. And it's, it's hard to talk about this. It's hard, really hard to talk about it um, outside of anyone who I think would be able to understand or be receptive to it. But it feels like my breath gets short, like really short. Yeah. And what's the emotion? Um, there's more than one. I think there's more than one. Yeah. Such as? Sadness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, distress. I think, I think it's gone beyond anger to distress, to feeling a little bit hopeless. Yeah. Right. And that is what we experience in Latin America. That is what anybody experiences when there is systemic violence when we can't get out of you know the shock and the fight or flight you know when there's so many things to attend that come one after another that we don't have it's hard to grasp for breath 
So there is no possibility of dialogue. There's no possibility of let's sit and talk about this. You know, it's it's less. It's less possible. It's like how are you going to go to school if you haven't eaten? How are you going to, you know, for a child, not for someone that's fasting? <laughs> Right, like it yeah. is so. Um, it is. It feels so unfair that we we feel like we're always in fight or flight over there. We feel like we barely have a moment to feel safe. You know, something that I just started thinking. Um, because I've been doing a bit of research on music. Um, I think I think the people that have been able to transmute all of these feelings of injustice in a really productive way have been the reggaetoneros. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> their rap, their rap is all about oppression. It's all about injustice and it's all about pain and anger. It's very violent. Um, but the rhythm, like the rhythm is, it just takes it out, out of you. And to me, it's really interesting because you know the, the Spanish singer uh, Rosalia? Yes. So she's very European. She's very Spanish. And she's had this epiphany of mixing in her work, her roots, her musical roots with reggaeton. And it's in a way confronting for a Latin American purist because she's Spanish. But at the same time, for me, it's really interesting because I feel like if she is making people angry through her music, she's opening dialogue and creating more space for us to be connecting creatively to a side of us that is painful to address. Right. And reggaeton, I feel, because um, I don't know if this was the case for you growing up, but for me, if you said you liked reggaeton, you were like, you had no culture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same, same uh, stigma. But that was rock and roll, right? That was right. blues. It it has to come from the periphery. It has to come from the outlanders of society for it to become a really good art. Mm. And I agree with you. There's another. Um, have you seen Ivy Queen? No. She's one of the first women that did this kind of music, and. I promise I didn't like them, but the more that I live here, the more that I, I start to like this kind of music. And she's got a song which is called Yo Quiero Bailar, I Want to Dance, which is more like making the distinction be between wanting to dance with someone and consenting to sex. And she did this quite a few years ago. Like quite a few years ago, maybe 10 or 20. Um, and it's you know, it's very, uh, she's very provocative. Like you're going to think like she's, you know, but it's, it's an amazing 
message, mm. an amazing message. And, and I agree with you. Uh, and, and also looking at the violence that is happening in some of our countries right now, mm-hmm. when there's more violence every day. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, all the trap raps, all the, the, the things that have happened after reggaeton, uh, are a really good way to express, express that anger. But I'm a little bit concerned also to tell you the truth, you know, because it's scary. Um, it's scary how much violence we're going through now. Yeah. You know, like, let's talk about Nina Simone, right? Mm -hmm. Nina's voice was a weapon. Mm -hmm. And, and she, when, when the the story behind Sipi Godam, um, it's an amazing story, right? The, the, the famous protest song when, when there was these people killing, um, these KKK people killed all sorts of, of people, especially black people on a church, I believe. And there were uh, four girls murdered. She said she wanted to make herself a gun. And she was trying, she was gathering materials to go and kill somebody. And when she was going out to find them, her husband said, Nina, you can't kill anyone. You're a musician. Do mm-hmm. go and do what you do. Mm-hmm. And she said she did not stop until that song was finished. Mm-hmm. And we can hear the song after today. And she's also, she has left this material for others to build upon it. Mm-hmm. So I think what's happening on the black communities in the US is incredibly powerful. Mm. And it's, it can be, it should be an example for us. And it's through music, you know, like I uh, went to hear this band the other day called Moor Mother. I was out of breath. Um, she's an activist and she has like this jazzy hip hop spoken word thing going on mixed with collage and it's so full of anger but it's also so full of dignity Hmm. and what they're doing is like, they're telling us what's going on. And as they do that, I feel like they're talking about the injustices and how we are participating on them. And then I learned about her because I was like, this is a very educated person. Like what is this? And I know now that she has founded a community or co-founded a community that leads writing workshops and shelters and all sorts of things, uh, to, to work with the scars of collective trauma. Mm. Yeah. So I feel like that, that could be possible in Latin America. Yeah, I do. I do believe that people do do that. I just don't, I just don't know to what extent it's collectively accepted. What, what is collectively accepted? Sorry, can you explain more of that? Yeah, I mean, um, beyond, beyond, um, beyond street protests, I don't know to what extent 
creative expression is actually accepted unless it's for decoration. Mm. But that's maybe me speaking through um, past experience in Lima. Um, because I, I do find that, or at least when I was growing up there, that anyone that expressed strong emotions would be shunned. And especially if you're a woman, that thing you said about um, the expression of anger, like the gendered expression of anger. Yeah. 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 And what happens, Danny, for us when our anger is not heard? Like it's, it could be that we can't have hopelessness or we turn into anger inwards, self-destruction. That happened to me too. Right? So I feel like, imagine, right? If you would give kids in a community in Latin America a space where they can process. You, you don't need the whole world to be okay with your expression. You just need a contained, supportive place where you can, you know, create your art and then, you know, they go and then they will see what, what's next. But I feel like a lot of what's happening in Latin America, like, especially with, I don't know, like I have this experience. I got mugged last year in my home country by two young guys. They were probably under 20 with two knives that were like six milli, like six inches knife. It was brutal, but when I think about these people, cause you know, you know, everything there and I got to know who they were and they were like, Oh, you want to do something? You can pay uh, you know, money and they will give you your stuff back. I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. But I also don't want to put them in jail because you know, it's like, an, what's the solution here? And I thought of what these people had gone through and I thought of all the trauma they had gone through recently like natural disasters, mm -hmm. uh, not having no support from their communities, um, just tons of stuff. And I also think of, okay, what do I represent for them? And I just feel like it's not me that's important in the story, like whatever, I'm okay. But I have the tools to go to trauma therapy and, you know, process that, but they are staying there. They're continuing doing this. And so we need, we need to heal. We need to create art in these communities. I do believe Danny, that, that your experience and my experience is something that not only we experience. And I think that there's even places where it's more repressed. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. To me, to me, it would be amazing to, to see more people, um, reaching communities outside of Latin America through Latin America. Um, cause we, I, I was looking for new writers recently, but I don't know if it is that I don't know where to look or if 
maybe I've just gotten disconnected, but I couldn't find new young writers. Um, and maybe, maybe that's just me being in a space of ignorance right now. But when I think about artists uh, within Latin America, it's mostly the classics um, from decades ago, things that I didn't live through, or it's reggaetoneros. <laughs> okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I found a book the other day um, called Solito, who that won a lot of prizes. Solito. Yeah, Solito. And it's from somebody, Javier Zamora, and I want to read him. Uh, his story of immigration from El Salvador to the United States. Another amazing writer, it's um, Ecuadorian. Uh, Uh, she talks about, she writes a book called The Undocumented Americans. Um, and she, she's one of the kids of this whole uh, generation that are called like the... The dreamers? Uh, yes. Yes. And she, without, you know, status, without being a resident... I think right now she's studying in one of the most privileged universities in the U.S. And she doesn't want to do what they are expecting her to do. She's doing her thing. And this is the book that she published. It's amazing. But there, it's interesting. Why are people being able to be creative in the U.S., right? Why are they, why do we have to go out to have some distance? And it's not easy. It's really hard to be on our own outside our country, but how is that helpful for the creative process? Taking distance, separating right. yourself. Yeah. But there's Creating also space. like a tradition around creation in the US, right? Where it is possible. Yeah, I guess for me, I, I always struggled to connect to um, any of the stories of Latin American migrants to North America. Mm -hmm. It's just, I don't know why, it's just something that I, I know that I've, I mean, I've studied away from Peru and I've lived away from Peru, but I never found my, I never identified myself with the Latino experience in the U.S. I've always... You're not the only one. Sorry? You're not the only one. Yeah, and and because like the Latino is not one thing. It's not that is just the stereotype of the Latino. Right, but what I l later on under maybe explained it to myself as is that I I just don't identify myself with the U.S. basically, and I don't see it as part of my identity. I don't see it as part. It's my educational experience, but it's not my cultural experience. Like there are still many things here that make me go, mm, this, I don't get it, <laughs> you know? Good um, on you. Yeah. Good I, on you because that resistance is what's gonna make you different. Yeah, I just, it's, it's weird because I never, um, 
for me, a Latino is either, like, I will call myself Latinoamericana, not Latina. Because in my understanding, a Latino or a Latina is an American who was born in the U.S., who grew up with Latin American ancestry, um, who has like a Latin American parent or um, a Latin American grandparent. And I had this really interesting conversation with a Salvadorian woman in London, and she was telling me how she's tried so long for so long to separate her identity from the migration identity that is attached to being Latin American. And when I speak to my parents, they don't have that identity. Like they, they were never interested in moving to the U S. Um, my father comes, has a, um, English ancestry and he never wanted he never wanted it. <laughs> he rejected it. Uh, he never wanted to actually get it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so from my perspective, I feel like there is a big Latino community and Latino presence where all of this anger, all of, you know, the trauma of having migrated to the U.S. and feeling just insignificant and even though this this land is traditionally it's it, it has a spanish background it has an indigenous background it has this whole blend you know well you're talking about something so deep daniela i think <laughs> that i am thinking wow like it's true like all the ideas about who we are um are so you know centered on the powerful place that determines the language. Mm. So instead of Eurocentric, it would be gringocentric. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's centered on the center. And what if uh, we would create, you know, some sort of workshop where we would go through the many identities that we have but we describe the language, uh, you know, like when I hear you speak, it's like, you're telling me, how should I refer to you? And I appreciate, and I understand that. And that's the way that I'm going to refer to you. The way that I have resolved my huge conflict. I don't know why I like to call myself Mestiza. Mestiza. Yeah, me too. Me too. I like it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And I don't know why I had so much rejection towards Latina. But it was like, what is that? Also because, you know, you go to the etymology of Latin, you know, it, it has nothing to do with what they think it is. Um, so anyways, yeah, a lot, a lot to talk about there. <laughs> and uh, that would be probably the subject for another yeah. meeting. But for us, for today, how do we want to, how do we want to close this conversation on creativity? I think what I'm getting out of this is that creativity, creativity is a channel, like an energetic channel. And anger is, is an, a normal and natural expression of what it is that we're living through. 
and yeah it it's always i i guess i don't know for you but for me it's always been my preferred form of existing i i need to exist in a creative reality i and it's something that i have maybe put aside in a way to try to see to what extent it's helpful or to what extent it's um, something that I grew up conditioned to be because I'm a girl. But <laughs> the more I get to know myself, the more I realize that creativity itself is a fuel for life. And with all of the emotions that exist, anger will come up. But as you said, if, if you end up suppressing it, it takes your life away. Like it, it makes you wilt, you know, like it, all of, all of who you are, your brightness, your energy, desire to engage, to communicate, to be part of community. If you suppress it, it, it all disappears. Yeah. So we need anger to create change. Yeah. And like you said at the beginning, and I think this is very important, you don't need to be an artist only to use your creative juices for change. You know, there takes a lot of creativity to rebuild a relationship with someone. Mm. It takes a lot of creativity to see how are you going to walk your kid off the door when he is just yelling and having a temper tantrum. <laughs> Thank you, Dani. It was wonderful to have this conversation with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it, I mean, I feel like we could talk more. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Ah, no, thank you so much. It was amazing <laughs> seeing you again. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Dani. Oh, and could you could you give like a little breakdown of what you're up to right now? and where people could find you? You can find me uh, on www.healinganger.ca <laughs> for Canada and Healing Anger. And that's the women's program that I run. And we do group work and we do individual work. And yeah, that's where you can find me. There's my email there. 